Welcome to Rebecca Reads. This week we are reading part two of The Golden Beetle. If you have not heard the first part of this story, make sure you go listen to it first. In this part of the story, it mentions a man named Confucius. Confucius was a Chinese philosopher who lived a really long time ago, from 551 to 479 BCE. That was over 2,000 years ago. He taught many things about morality, justice, kindness, and sincerity. He had a lot of followers, and his ideas were picked up by many governments as standards to live and rule by. It also emphasized a respect and almost worship for one's ancestors. Family is very important, even those who have already died. His writings lasted through the centuries and became a big part of how the Chinese lived. Confucianism just became a way of life for everyone. Don't forget to stay after the story for this week's poem. And now for The Golden Beetle, Part 2. One day, after this period of starvation had been going on for some time, Whitehead began suddenly to frisk about in great excitement. "'Whatever is the matter with you?' growled Blackfoot. "'Are you mad from hunger, or have you caught another flea?' "'I was just thinking over our affairs, and now I know the cause of all our trouble.' "'Do you indeed?' sneered Blackfoot. "'Yes, I do indeed, and you'd better think twice before you mock me, "'for I hold your future in my paw, as you will very well soon see.' "'Well, you needn't get angry about nothing. "'What wonderful discovery have you made, that every rat has one tail?' First of all, are you willing to help me bring good fortune back to our family?' "'Of course I am. Don't be silly,' barked the dog, "'wagging his tail joyfully at the thought of another good dinner.' "'Surely, surely, I will do anything you like "'if it will bring Dame Fortune back again.' "'All right, here is the plan. "'There has been a thief in the house "'who has stolen our mistress's golden beetle. "'You remember all our big dinners that came from the pot? "'Well, every day I saw our mistress "'take a little golden beetle out of the black box "'and put it into the pot. "'One day she held it up before me, saying, "'Look, puss, there is the cause of all our happiness.' "'Don't you wish it was yours?' "'Then she laughed and put it back into the box that stays in the cupboard.' "'Is that true?' questioned Blackfoot. "'Why didn't you say something about it before?' "'You remember the day Mr. and Mrs. Chu were here, "'and how Mrs. Chu returned in the afternoon "'after Master and Mistress had gone to the fair? "'I saw her, out of the tail of my eye, "'go to that very black box and take out the golden beetle.' I thought it was curious, but never dreamed she was a thief. Alas, I was wrong. She took the beetle, and if I am not mistaken, she and her husband are now enjoying the feasts that belong to us. Let's claw them, growled Blackfoot, gnashing his teeth. That would do no good, counseled the other, for they would be sure to come out best in the end. We want the beetle back, that's the main thing. We'll leave revenge to human beings, it is none of our business. "'What do you suggest?' said Blackfoot. "'I am with you through thick and thin.' "'Let's go to the Chew House and make off with the beetle.' "'Alas, that I am not a cat,' moaned Blackfoot. "'If we go there, I couldn't get inside, for robbers always keep their gates well locked. "'If I were like you, I could scale the wall. "'It is the first time in all my life I ever envied a cat.' "'We will go together,' continued Whitehead. "'I will ride on your back when we are fording the river, "'and you can protect me from strange animals.' When we get to the chew house, I will climb over the wall and manage the rest of the business myself. 
only you must wait outside to help me get home with the prize. No sooner arranged than done. The companions set out that very night on their adventure. They crossed the river as the cat had suggested, and Blackfoot really enjoyed the swim, for, as he said, it took him back to his puppyhood, while the cat did not get a single drop of water on her face. It was midnight when they reached the Chew House. "'Just wait till I return,' purred Whitehead in Blackfoot's ear. With a mighty spring, she reached the top of the mud wall and then jumped down to the inside court. While she was resting in the shadow, trying to decide just how to go about her work, a slight rustling attracted her attention, and pop! One giant spring, one stretch out of claws, and she caught a rat that had just come out of his hole for a drink and a midnight walk. Now, Whitehead was so hungry that she would have made short work of this tempting prey if the rat had not opened its mouth and, to her amazement, begun to talk in good cat dialect. Pray, good puss, not so fast with your sharp teeth. Kindly be careful with your claws. Don't you know it is the custom now to put prisoners on their honor? I will promise not to run away. <sighs> what honor has a rat? Most of us haven't much, I grant you, but my family was brought up under the roof of Confucius, and there we picked up so many crumbs of wisdom that we are exceptions to the rule. If you will spare me, I will obey you for life. In fact, will be your humble slave. Then, with a quick jerk, freeing itself, See, I am loose now, but honor holds me as if I were tied, and so I make no further attempt to get away. Much good it will do you, purred Whitehead, her fur cracking noisily, and her mouth watering for the taste of rat steak. However, I am quite willing to put you to the test. First, answer a few polite questions, and I will see if you are a truthful fellow. What kind of food is your master eating now, that you should be so round and plump while I am thin and scrawny? Oh, we have been in luck lately, I can tell you. Master and mistress feed on the fat of the land, and of course we hangers on get the crumbs. But this is a poor tumble-down house. How can they afford such eating? That is a great secret, but as I am in honor bound to tell you, here goes. My mistress has just obtained in some manner or other a fairy's charm. She stole it from our place, hissed the cat. I will claw her eyes out if I get the chance. Why, we've been fairly starving for want of that beetle. She stole it from us just after she had been an invited guest. What do you think of that for honor, Sir Rat? Were your mistress's ancestors followers of the sage? Oh, 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 why, that explains everything, wailed the rat. I have often wondered how they got the golden beetle, and yet, of course, I dared not ask any questions. No, certainly not, but hark you, friend rat. You get that golden trinket back for me, and I will set you free at once of all obligations. Do you know where she hides it? Yes, in a crevice where the wall is broken. I will bring it to you in a jiffy, but how shall we exist when our charm is gone? There will be a season of scanty food, I fear. Beggars fare for all of us. Live on the memory of your good deed, purred the cat. It is splendid, you know, to be an honest beggar. Now, Scoot, I trust you completely since your people lived in the home of Confucius. I will wait here for your return. Ah, laughed Whitehead to herself. Luck seems to be coming our way again. Five minutes later, the rat appeared, bearing the trinket in its mouth. It passed the beetle over to the cat, and then, with a whisk, was off forever. Its honor was safe, but it was afraid of Whitehead. 
It had seen the gleam of desire in her green eyes, and the cat might have broken her word if she had not been so anxious to get back home where her mistress could command the wonderful kettle once more to bring forth food. The two adventurers reached the river just as the sun was rising above the eastern hills. "'Be careful,' cautioned Blackfoot as the cat leaped upon his back for her ride across the stream. "'Be careful not to forget the treasure.' In short, remember that even though you are a female, it is necessary to keep your mouth closed till we reach the other side. Thanks, but I don't think I need your advice, replied Whitehead, picking up the beetle and leaping on the dog's back. But alas, just as they were nearing the farther shore, the excited cat forgot her wisdom in a moment. A fish suddenly leaped out of the water directly under her nose. It was too great a temptation. Snap went her jaws in a vain effort to land the scaly treasure, and the golden beetle sank to the bottom of the river. There, said the dog angrily, what did I tell you? Now all our trouble has been in vain, all on account of your stupidity. For a time there was a bitter dispute, and the companions called each other some very bad names, such as Turtle and Rabbit. Just as they were starting away from the river, disappointed and discouraged, a friendly frog, who had by chance heard their conversation, offered to fetch the treasure from the bottom of the stream. No sooner said than done, and after thanking this accommodating animal profusely, they turned homeward once more. When they reached the cottage, the door was shut, and, bark as he would, Blackfoot could not persuade his master to open it. There was the sound of loud wailing inside. "'Mistress is broken-hearted,' whispered the cat. "'I will go to her and make her happy.' So saying, she sprang lightly through a hole in the paper window, which, alas, was too small and too far from the ground for the faithful dog to enter. A sad sight greeted the gaze of Whitehead. The son was lying on the bed unconscious, almost dead for want of food, while his mother, in despair, was rocking backwards and forwards, wringing her wrinkled hands and crying at the top of her voice for someone to come and save them. "'Here I am, mistress,' cried Whitehead, "'and here is the treasure you are weeping for.' I have rescued it and brought it back to you. The widow, wild with joy at the sight of the beetle, seized the cat in her scrawny arms and hugged the pet tightly to her bosom. Breakfast, son, breakfast. Wake up from your swoon. Fortune has come again. We are saved from starvation. Soon a steaming hot meal was ready, and you may well imagine how the old woman and her son, heaping praises upon Whitehead, filled the beast's platter with good things. But never a word did they say of the faithful dog, who remained outside sniffing the fragrant odors and waiting in sad wonder. For all this time the artful cat had said nothing of Blackfoot's part in the rescue of the golden beetle. At last, when breakfast was over, slipping away from the others, Whitehead jumped out through the hole in the window. "'Oh, my dear Blackfoot,' she began laughingly, you should have been inside to see what a feast they gave me. Mistress was so delighted at my bringing back her treasure that she could not give me enough to eat, nor say enough kind things about me. Too bad, old fellow, that you are hungry. You'd better run out into the street and hunt up a bone. Maddened by the shameful treachery of his companion, the enraged dog sprang upon the cat, and in a few seconds had shaken her to death. "'So dies the one who forgets a friend and loses honor. he cried sadly, as he stood over the body of his companion. Rushing out into the street, he proclaimed the treachery of Whitehead to the members of his tribe, at the same time advising that all self-respecting dogs should from that time onward make war upon the feline race. 
and that is why the descendants of old Blackfoot, whether in China or in the great countries of the West, have waged continual war upon the children and grandchildren of Whitehead, for a thousand generations of dogs have fought them and hated them with a great and lasting hatred. Thank you for listening to The Golden Beetle Part 2. Would you have been as mad as Blackfoot the dog for what Whitehead the cat did? This story is trying to explain why dogs mostly don't like cats. Is that really the reason? Can you make up a story that explains why dogs hate cats? Is there anything else we can learn from this story? This week's poem is The Glove and the Lions by Lee Hunt. It reads, King Francis was a hardy king and loved a royal sport, and one day, as his lions fought, sat looking on the court. The nobles filled the benches with the ladies in their pride, and among them sat the Count de Lorge with one for whom he sighed. And truly t'was a gallant thing to see that crowning show, valor and love, and a king above, and the royal beasts below. Ramped and roared the lions with horrid laughing jaws. They bit, they glared, gave blows like beams, a wind went with their paws. With wallowing might and stifled roar, they rolled on one another, till all the pit with sand and mane was in a thunderous smother. The bloody foam above the bars came whisking through the air, that said Francis then, Faith, gentlemen, we're better here than there. Delorge's love o'erheard the king, a beauteous lively dame with smiling lips and sharp bright eyes, which always seemed the same. She thought, The Count, my lover, is brave as brave can be. He surely would do wondrous things to show his love of me. King, ladies, lovers, all look on. The occasion is divine. I'll drop my glove to prove his love. Great glory will be mine. She dropped her glove to prove his love, then looked at him and smiled. He bowed, and in a moment leapt upon the lion's wild. His leap was quick, return was quick, he has regained his place. He threw the glove, but not with love, right in the lady's face. Well done, cried Francis, bravely done, and he rose from where he sat. No love, quoth he, but vanity sets love a task like that. And that is another episode of Rebecca Reads. Please make sure you are subscribed to this podcast and tell your friends about it. If you really enjoy it, please leave me a five-star review. Keep reading and join me next week for another episode of Rebecca Reads.